Bible. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to the book of Acts, chapter 22. As today, we're going to cover from here, which really should have been the chapter break, all the way to chapter 23, verse 11. And I don't have any alliteration. I don't have a series of words that start with the same letter. I'm sorry about that. What I'm actually going to ask you guys to do today is something very different. Do you guys ever write in your Bible? Some of you do, uh, and if you don't, that's okay. You don't have to. Maybe you can write a note somewhere on the side. And, and some, you know, the, the, uh, I know we have like cards in the back right there. But, but what I want you to do is pick up on these things that I think are important for us as a church, issues that we need to talk about. Because what we're doing is we're studying the life of Paul the Apostle in the book of Acts. And some people wonder, why is there so much about this guy? And, and I believe that what God is doing with Paul the Apostle is he's making him an example of a Christian. You know, some even call him a typology of a Christian. You have 13 of his letters in the 27 New Testament books. You have chapter 9 of the book of Acts, and then chapter 13, all the way to chapter 28, all about Paul the Apostle. And you wonder why. And I think it's because in his life, there are a lot of lessons that we can glean. And he was just a man. He, he wasn't perfect. We're going to see that today. Um, any perfect people here? I'm just curious. <laughs> None of us are, huh? We're perfect positionally in Christ, but man, we're not in practice. And so we can relate to him. Ultimately, who's our, 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 our perfect model? It's Jesus. And so we want to be like him. But just in case you're here and you're wondering, hey, that's no fair, he was God, um, then you have now Paul, and he was just a man like us, with all the hang-ups, with all the mess-ups, with all the bad attitudes, with all the crime, all the things that he did, all the religiosity, and God says, look at what I did in his life, and I can do that in your life too. And so we're just following his story, a lot of lessons to learn, but notice, first of all, in Acts 22, we begin in verse 30 where it says the next day, because he, that's Claudius Lysias, he's the commander, because he wanted to know for certain why he, that's speaking of Paul, was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. And so we're going to see throughout this judicial process that the charges of, against Paul were very difficult to pinpoint. You know, we know the real reason why he's here. We know the reason why he's hated is because he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness and with courage. And anytime you do that, anytime you speak the name of Jesus unashamedly, the enemy will come against you. And so we know the real reason but as far as the accusations, as far as the allegations from the Roman perspective, you know, because now it's under the Roman law, it was difficult to ascertain exactly what was going on. You know, we read it here, the commander still doesn't know what's up. And then, you know, you read it back in Acts 21. Watch, go to chapter 21 real quick in verse 33. It says, then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and, and some another. And so when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the 
the barracks? I mean, he didn't really know what was the allegations. What did this guy do wrong? You know, we're going to see later in Acts 25 the same thing. The governor doesn't even know what the charges really are. And so here we read in verse 30 that the commander subpoenas the Sanhedrin to show up to court to find out exactly what the charges are. What's the real reason for the riot? Why do they want this guy dead? And so um, he, we read in, in verse 1, as they're all gathered together, Paul and the Roman rulers and the Jewish accusers, they set before them Paul the apostle, and we read there in verse 1, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And so he begins his defense. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been before a judge and you get a chance to talk. You don't have to raise your hand, but, you know, imagine yourself, you know, in that situation. And he just basically says, you know what, I'm, I'm just doing my best to live life honestly, to live life earnestly, to live life obediently. That's all I'm about in all good conscience before God until this day. And so a real important thing is brought up at this point. And if you're okay in, in writing in your Bibles or circling or underlining or whatever, circle that word conscience because that's a huge word that we as Christians should try to get a good grip on. You know, Paul actually brings up this topic frequently. He tried so hard to be real, you know, to listen to the moral compass that God puts inside of everyone on earth. I mean, he, he wrote about the, the conscience in the world, and he said that everyone has one, the inner sense of what's right and wrong. You know, you read Romans chapter 2 and verse 15. These are people, they never heard the Bible. They never heard the gospel. And it says in Romans 2 verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. You see, we all have a conscience, man. It's an inner moral compass. God wrote a law in our heart. Even before you were a Christian, man, something inside of you says, you know what, that's not right. Or something inside you is saying, you know what, that is right. Right here it talks about, you know, accusing or excusing. And that's the conscience we have inside. I like the way God questions defines it. It says the conscience is defined as that part of the human psyche that induces mental anguish and feelings of guilt when we violate it and feelings of pleasure and well-being when our actions, thoughts, or words conform to our value systems. The Greek word translated conscience in all New Testament references is pseudonesis, meaning moral awareness or moral consciousness. The conscience reacts when one's actions, thoughts, and words conform to or are contrary to an inner standard of right and wrong. And so we all have a conscience. You know, um, I know a lot of you probably remember Pinocchio, right? And Jimmy the Cricket. I talked about that. I know, uh, I don't know if for some of you, I guess that's an old movie, but you know, it's that little, that little cricket, man, that would stand on... Um, Oh, what was the puppet's name again? Pinocchio, yeah. Don't laugh. <laughs> and he would stand on his shoulder and he would tell him what's right and wrong, right? And that's a picture of something very, very, very real. We got to listen 
to that voice. Romans 2.15 tells us everyone has it. John chapter 8 verse 9 teaches us the same thing. You know, when those religious leaders, hypocritical, self-righteous, the ones didn't know the Lord and they brought the woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus and they said she's caught in this sin and the law says that she should be stoned, what do you say? And Jesus says, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And, and then the Bible talks about it. Even those guys, even those awful dudes had a conscience and one by one they began to leave their stones and leave the woman alone. Why? Because everyone has a conscience. You know, and so what we need to know is that if anyone continuously ignores their conscience, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2, you can actually sear it. You can burn it. You can actually come to a place where your conscience is dead and inactive. This is why we see the heinous crimes that some people do today, and you trip out and you see it on TV and you read it in the news. How could this man do such a thing? It's because he seared his conscience. Imagine living life without any moral compass whatsoever. You know, Paul begins here by saying, that's all I've done up to this point. That that was my heart as a Christian, to be real, to do the right thing. You know, to listen to the Lord and to never violate his voice. When you become a Christian, not only do you have a conscience, but you've got the word of God and you've got the spirit of God. You've got a voice. And he's always talking to you, man. He's saying, you know what? You shouldn't talk to that girl like that. You shouldn't look into her eyes like that. You shouldn't touch her that way. I mean, you name it. You hear the voice all the time. This morning when I was uh, studying in my garage, my wife came out. She's just about to leave. And I hear a little voice inside my head. It says, you should help her put her bags in the car. And I'm like, nah, Lord. I got to study. You know, I'm teaching today. And then no way, I'm not going to violate that conscience. I'm not going to suppress God's voice. And so I asked her, do you want me to help you? And she said, yeah. Come to find out she has 16 bags, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, and then you hear another voice. And the little voice inside of me says, you should ask her, you know, whatever. Can I make you a little protein drink today? And, you know, or whatever. Another voice that was louder to ask her, hey, sweetheart, will you want to pray real quick before you go? And you hear those voices, those little promptings. They're from God. And, and what we have to do is, is live our life in all good conscience towards God and men. You know, if you have a secret life and you're trying to hide it from someone, I mean, you're already knowing it's wrong because you're trying to hide it. You know, a lot of times you got people, they have these secret social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, man. You know what? What we have to do is just listen to the voice of the Lord. You know, Paul never violated his conscience. You know, we even read in Acts 24, verse 16, he says, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. I mean, think about that, striving to listen to that voice. You know, Paul commanded his young protege pastor, Timothy, to have faith and a good conscience in 1 Timothy 1.19, and then in 1 Timothy 3.9, he says, I want you to have a pure conscience. Imagine that, a pure conscience. Something he said he had in 2 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 3. You know, and that goes for all ministers. Amen. If you're involved in ministry especially, he said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. And so uh, Paul right here, he talks about the conscience in his opening statement. 
But, but watch what happens next in, in verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And so the high priest, he, he commands Ananias to be, um, he commands Paul to be stricken. More than likely he was slapped, not, not punched. More than likely he slapped, but I'm sure it hurt. And, and then Paul responds like maybe a lot of us would in verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? You know, Paul responds with some pretty heavy words. God will strike you, and he calls them a name. You whitewashed wall. What happened? Paul got high, like a lot of you. I was talking to the one guy in between services that prayed for me, man, because I got in a big, old, and crazy, intense argument with a family member last night and it happens all the time right now before any of you look at this and you're like yeah but Manny I think it's okay because it was Paul he did it so it's okay for me to do it and you're highlighting that and underlining that and putting a star right there you're seeing is that justification for your anger on the freeway or when you get angry on the phone or at home or sometimes those things happen no um, we got to be really careful we we got to basically see this was probably not Paul's best moment. You know, we're not really sure why the high priest told him, commanded him to be struck. It may have been the way that he addressed them. You notice he called them uh, men and brethren. And it may have been more formal for him to address them as, uh, as rulers of the people, or maybe even men and fathers, as he had done previously. That may have been why they wanted him to be hit, but more than likely it was just because of the fact that he claimed to have a clean conscience. And so um, it offended the high priest. Uh, he commands Paul to be struck. And what ends up happening is Paul strikes back. He calls him a whitewashed wall, referring to the tombs in Israel, that they looked good on the outside, but on the inside they were filled with nothing but dead men's bones. And so, um, you know, when you look at this right here, it's interesting because I don't know about you, but I think the high priest was wrong, you know, but, but it doesn't mean that Paul's response, you know, should have been the same, you know, attitude, you know, and that's why I think where we go wrong, you know, I don't know about you, but every once in a while you get an argument with your spouse, you ever do that? And you, you're just, no, they're wrong. I mean, they're just wrong. And so what do you do, man? I mean, you put them in their place. You correct them. You, you, you chew them up and spit them out. Sometimes this is crazy and it's a terrible thing, but we might even revert to calling them names. You know, um, we've been in the world. We know those names that the world uses for people, girls that aren't nice or guys that aren't nice. You know, and we start calling them names. What happens when you call them a name? What happens, I mean, you could think of something a little bit more, less, you know, bad, liar, you're a liar. You call someone a liar, you're calling them a name. Now you're skewing your perspective of them, and now you're skewing their perspective of themselves. You know, you can call a guy a, a wimp, or you might call your son lazy. You know what, they remember that. And, and that's how you start seeing them, and that's how they start seeing themselves. 
You know, sometimes we have our children and they do struggle in their work ethic, right? Don't call them lazy. Don't. Don't call them names. Say, you know, Mijo, don't be lazy. Or, hey, you need to work harder. But when we start reverting to name calling, what we find is that's the enemy, man. And that's what Paul does right here. He literally calls the high priest a, a whitewashed wall. Now, you might, say, well, you might be saying, well, didn't Jesus call them that? Well, he kind of did, not exactly the same uh, uh, words, but he used that term in Matthew 23, 27, but that was after three years of loving them, and that was with all the omniscient information that Jesus had. See, it was different, and Paul knew it was different, and that's why he admitted later that it was wrong. Notice here in verse four, it says, on those who stood by, they said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. You see, Paul didn't know it was the high priest uh, that had commanded him to be struck. And, and we wonder why he didn't know, because in all reality, the high priest would have a robe, he would have... Uh, the ephod, I mean, he would be so easily seen if you could see, and more than likely, Paul couldn't see very well. Um, some say his eye, vision was severely impaired. How many of you here have bad eyes? I'm just curious. Aren't you blessed that you have glasses? How many of you here wear contacts? Some of you here, my eyes are so bad. My eyes are 20 over 200. If I didn't have my contacts on, I couldn't, I couldn't recognize any of you. And maybe that'd be good, but maybe not. I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> Paul, we know Paul couldn't see. And so, um, as a matter of fact, when he wrote to the Galatians, he wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, what then was the, the blessing you enjoyed, for I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That's how much the Galatians loved Paul. He had a problem with his eyes, and he said, I know you guys would have given me your own eyes. That's how bad they were. And then later in the same letter in Galatians 6, 11, he says, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And so more than likely, he wrote the end of the letter himself and he wrote big letters because some of you here, when your eyes go bad, you need big letters, huh? That's why I got a big old Bible up here, man. And so that's probably why he couldn't recognize the high priest. He had eye problems. He didn't realize it was the high priest, and so he lashed back. But once he realized it was the high priest, Paul yielded to God's word out of Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight, how the people of Israel were prohibited from speaking evil of a ruler of the people. And so, you know, the first word I asked you guys to circle is conscience. The next one, maybe to underline or circle, is just those three words there, in verse uh, 8, no, verse 5, it is written. It is written. What do you do when there's a conflict emotionally, passionately, and biblically? We have to follow those three words. It is written. You're so upset. This person is so wrong, and you want to say what you think you need to say, but the Bible says you can't. So what do you do? You have to follow the scriptures, right? Your emotions are hot. You want to put them in their place. And, 
you get some type of fleshly satisfaction and whatever, you know, saying this, calling them a name. But this is where, you know, we separate the wheat from the chaff. This is where we, you know, whether you live life abundantly or or defeated life, you know, because a lot of times those emotions, they get strong. And they're the ones that take over. Next thing you know, you're not walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. You know, let me ask you a question. Do you live life emotionally or do you live life biblically when there's a conflict? You know, my prayer is that we would hold to those three words. They would be the authority in our life. It is written. And this is the type of man I'll be. And this is the type of woman I'll be. This is the type of husband I'll be. This is the type of wife and mom and dad and minister and pastor and Christian. And you, and you live your life according to those three words. It is written. You know, Paul here, he's upset. He's ticked off. The guy's got an anger issue probably. We saw that before he was a Christian. Some of you guys here, raise your hand. You got an anger. No, I'm just joking you. You know, I mean, the Bible says, though, Paul says, okay, the Bible says I'm not to speak evil or of or about a ruler of the people, so I can't. You know, and, and that's tough. I mean, there are those times, even in that setting, where we, you know, we, we, we see what someone does and, you know, that whatever, that, that president, that governor, that pastor, that boss that you have, you know, and, and it's a hard time. We're, we're, we're seeing it more and more where we might not be able to honor the person in office, but we need to honor the office. You know, there's a certain honor that is, is given towards parents, towards teachers, towards officers, towards governors, according to the scriptures. We're not just free to say, you know, what, whatever we want. And here's Paul. I mean, he shouldn't have been hit. It was wrong. But he really shows us an important lesson. The authority of life is the Bible. That even if Everything, you know, he was as a man with all those passions and emotions and opinions. You know, if this, even though this is what he felt was right, you know, it didn't matter. His life was brought under the authority of God and his word. And those three words, they changed him. Immediately, it is written, I can't talk that way. You know, real quick question. How's your view of the Bible? You know, is it your word until, you know, it conflicts with your will? Is it, is it really authoritative and, until it conflicts with your opinion or public opinion? Man, we got to be so careful and make sure that this is what, you know, rules our life. Is it a good book or is it the good book? Do you live life emotionally or biblically? These are important questions. It's a decision we all have to make. You know, Paul was guided by those three words. And so he calms down. He counts to 10. No, I'm sorry. He calms down and he thinks it through and then he speaks up in verse 6. It says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. 
And so Paul looks out into the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish equivalent of the Supreme Court. He looks out into these guys and he notices that some are Republicans and some are Democrats, kind of. <laughs> some are Sadducees and some are Pharisees. And he then takes this approach, which is really interesting, and he basically brings up the resurrection. Now, some say that Paul was just trying to divide these guys. You know, he knew they had uh, heated debates on issues like this, you know, kind of similar to the divisions we have even in our country. Our country is divided, right? But, but here's the thing. I don't think that's what happened here. That's a strategy that distracts from the real issues. And I don't think Paul was doing that. I don't think Paul was trying to divide them. I don't think he was trying to buy more time. I don't think he was trying to cause another ruckus or another riot. I mean, he'd already been involved in many of those things, and it didn't help his matter any at all. And so what did he do? I think that what he did was he cut to the chase, and in all reality, this is what it's all about, the resurrection from the dead, that there is life after death. And the only question is, where will you spend eternity? And he, and, he, and he cuts to the chase. And what he does is interesting because he says, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a son of a Pharisee. And more than likely now, he's appealing to that, at least that side of the crowd. Hey, you guys, this is what I'm talking about. He's hoping that they'll get saved. And if the Pharisees get saved, maybe if it's a genuine life in them, Maybe they'll influence the, the Sadducees, the other section of the, of the Sanhedrin. Because you've got to understand who Paul is. He's not just trying to buy some more time, man. He's trying to get these people saved. You know, some of you here, you really do know the Lord. You really are Christians. And some of you here, you're not. You don't know the Lord. You, know, you might go to church. You may have been baptized. You might read your Bible every once in a while. You know, it's something that you do. It's like a culture. It's like a religion. But it will never get you to heaven because you haven't really been born again. And so what Paul here is wanting to do is he just wants everybody to come to that place where, where they're, they're saved. You know, there, there is a resurrection. You know, and the only question is, where will you spend eternity, smoking or not, with God or, or without? You know, heaven or hell? You know, some people say, well, there's not a hell. I can't believe in a God that would send anyone to hell. He doesn't send anyone to hell. You do. You choose. Where do you want to go? You're like, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, then you are in direct you know, disagreement with the Lord Jesus Christ, who talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Listen, where you spend eternity is up to you. You make the decision right here, right now. Where do you want to go? You know, there is a resurrection of the just and unjust. Jesus talked about that in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. You see, the Sadducees, they were humanists. They were materialists. They were pagan scientists. They didn't believe in the spiritual part of life. They didn't believe in the resurrection or angels or spirits. 
You know, and, and generally speaking, they were the upper class, the Hellenistic Jews. They were more worldly and liberal. They denied the supernatural. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were middle class. Generally speaking, they were very, very conservative to the extreme. They took the Ten Commandments. They made 612 of them out of the Ten Commandments. And so these were the guys that Jesus is dealing with, that Paul is dealing with. And now you got these on this end that say there's no soul or angels or demons or devil or life after death. And so Paul hones in on the fact that this is what it's all about. Listen, there's a soul inside of you. There's a, there's a spiritual realm. There are angels and demons here right now. There is a God here right now who loves you. There is a God who died for you on a cross and all your sins were put on him. And if you would make that choice to stop playing games, stop playing church and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be saved. But if you got one foot and one, one foot out, if you got a half-hearted commitment, then please understand that that won't take you to heaven. What Paul is trying to do is to reach them with the reality of the resurrection. Think about that. You know, I know a lot of you here, you're thinking, well, I've got a long ways to live, Manny. I mean, I'm only... You know, like me, 26, and you're like, I'm, you know, got plenty of time, but we don't know. We don't know. And so we have to make that decision. You know, we need to talk about this. Do you realize all this that's going on? You know, the Romans road is, is kind of cool. I want to share some real quick verses just in case you're here and you haven't yet made that decision. Romans in chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you sinned? And if you say you haven't sinned, you just sinned by saying you haven't sinned. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. That if you die in your sins, you'll go to hell. But then the next part of that same verse, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. You know, and in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I mean, it's a gift. I mean, I mean, you know, a lot of times we get these advertisements. I don't know if you guys ever get them, but, you know, free, you know, iPad. And don't you always feel like there's got to be a catch? There always is, huh? But not right here. Not with this. I'm talking about the God who loves you, who made for you, who wants to give you life, who wants to give you love, who wants to give you freedom, who wants to give you forgiveness, who wants to give you purpose who wants to fulfill the void within your heart. He's the only one who can. This is the gift that God wants to give to you. And it's not only something that you'll enjoy now. Eternal life does start now, but then it goes on forever in that place called heaven. Don't you want to go to heaven where pizza is good for you? Don't you want to go, you know, where I'll be taller and my hair will be jet black? I mean, it's just going to be amazing there in heaven where we will see God and we will be reconciled with our loved ones who have died in Christ. I mean, I can't wait to see my Lord and I can't wait to see some of these people that have already gone on before me. But you got to choose. Not going to church. Going to church doesn't save you. Have you given your life to Christ? Truly. You know, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, not your head, but in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. You know, and when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that means he calls the shots. You don't. That means he tells you how to live life, and he'll lead you in a way that's wonderful. But, you know, you let him drive now. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the boss. He's the shot caller, not you. You come to that place where you repent of your sins and you receive him as Lord and Savior. And as you do, you believe in the gospel that he died for you and rose again. Do you believe that? He died for you. All your sins, he died for you. You believe that in your heart. The Bible says you're saved. And so at the end of this session, you know, things didn't really work out the way Paul would have hoped. They got loud and proud. In verse 9, notice it says, and then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man, but if an evil spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. And so, at first, it looks kind of cool. The Pharisees are saying, hey, you know, leave the guy alone. Maybe we should take the advice of Gamaliel that we read back in Acts 5, 38 through 39, you know, and just keep away from these men. Let them alone. If it's of God, you can't overthrow it. Maybe there was an, an angel or a spirit that spoke to him. But, but what ends up happening ultimately is there's a big fight. You know, and I hate to give you guys this visual, but imagine there's a big fight right here, you know, in this church. I think this side was win because there's more of you on this side. But this side has Henry, so you just never know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I mean, no pastor, no preacher would see that as a success. That I went in there and I tried to tell him about the love of God, about the resurrection and the life. And all that it ended up in is this big riot. And so they take him in and he goes to his prison. And I'll bet you anything that this pastor felt like the biggest failure in the world. Because this was his dream come true. He was talking to the Jewish people in the temple. He was speaking to the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, all the big influences, all the movers, all the shakers. And all he wanted was for them to get saved. And no one, no one got saved. And so now he's in his cell, which brings us to our last point, verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And again, if you're okay in writing in your Bible, the, the next three words I would underline is, The Lord stood by him. That's four words, huh? The Lord stood by him. And that's true for him, and it's true for you. And I tell you what, man, that changes everything when you know the Lord stands by us. What a lesson to remember as we're on this mission. It's not just a mission. It's a co-mission. We're not alone. We're, we're never alone. And the one who's with us is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about this, and I know this is kind of silly, but 
I was thinking, imagine if I was, we, we had like as a church, a two-on-two basketball tournament. I'm not that good in basketball, though I have been known to bust a few threes here and there. But imagine, you know, you're in the tournament and Jesus is on your team. How many of you here think you would win? Oh my gosh, it changes everything. You know, two on two, you got the Lord. He's all you need. And that's what we see right here. The Lord, he stands by Paul. He stands by us. You know, when you look at this whole situation here, it doesn't look like anyone else is standing by him. But, you know, in one sense, it's okay because the Lord is. And it probably happened to Paul a lot. I knew it happened at the end of this, and at the end of his life, we know what happened. According to 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 17, he says, At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And there's no doubt that that lion is in reference to the devil. And so Paul would be familiar with this. I think we were reading, singing that song earlier, You're All I Need. I thank God for my brothers and my sisters in my life, but they can't be there for me all the time. But the Lord can. And that's what we see. You know, when the Lord does appear to Paul, notice he tells him to be of good cheer. Um, other translations say be of good courage. And really, the Greek word combines those two be having a cheerful courage. You know, and we need that. We need to not only be courageous, like, hey, I'm going to do this, but you do it with enthusiasm. You do it, you know, with a smile. Why? Not because everything is going according to your way, but because the Lord is with you. And what the Lord tells Paul, cheer up, you know, be brave, be strong. N number one, notice what he says. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem. What does he do now? He goes and he looks to his past, a past that I'll bet you almost anything Paul thought he'd blown it in. I mean, no one got saved. I'm sure I didn't say the right things. I didn't say it the right way. I didn't have the anointing of God upon my life. And now he's coming in here. He's kicking himself. He's thinking that his past, he's completely blown it. And the Lord said, no, I, I was with you just as you testified for me in Jerusalem. And that's what we do. None of us does it perfectly, but we do our best, and the Lord does the rest. And I'll tell you what, the Lord will take care of your past. You know, even some of you here, you have blown it in the past, and you're thinking, you know what, I've ruined my life. You know, you look back in your life, and it's all messed up. Well, join the club and understand this, that God can even redeem your past. That God can take all the things that you did in the past that weren't good and he can transform them and somehow he's able to use those tragedies and transform them into victories. God will take care of your past and God will take care of your future. And that's what he says right here. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And it's kind of cool. I don't know how you guys feel about this, man, but the enemy sometimes, he condemns you uh, about the past, and he just, man, he, he paralyzes you as a result of that, or he even sometimes, you know, freaks you out about your future. You know, you're wondering, man, how's it all going to work out? Am I going to make it? And what the Lord here does to all of us is he says, yes, 
You're going to make it, man. Your past, it's buried in my blood. Your future, I tell you what, I know you want to go to Rome. You want to go to Rome, and I know, Paul, I know why you want to go to Rome. Because you want to share the gospel. And you know that Rome is a significant city, and it can impact the entire empire. I know that's why you go, and you have it in your heart. And I tell you what, Paul, I put that desire there. And I know you're worried that you're not going to make it. But let me tell you something. You are. You're going to make it. You're not going to go on a cruise ship with all you can eat. You're not going to do that. But you will make it. Not in your timing. It's going to take about two and a half years to get there. And you're going to go as a slave. And you're going to go in chains. But you will go to Rome. And that's what you want to do. That's your dream. That's your desire. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless your life. And what, what, what God does for us is he just takes care of everything because you're a Christian. Not because you're perfect, but because he is. And he'll cover your past and he'll bless your future. Why? Because Jesus shows up and he stands by you. And I pray that you guys would know that. You know how he shows up. He says, I'm with you. Remember Matthew 28, 20? He says, lo, I'm with you always, even in our money. That's what it says right there in the Bible. <laughs> even to the end of the age. Even in what you're going through right now. I have not left, by, I have not left your side. And I got a future for you and a hope. And this is all I'm asking, that you seek me with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. And you watch what I'll do in my time, according to my details. And so church, be encouraged. Uh, there's nowhere you can't run. You can't travel the speed of light, the Bible says in Psalm 139, and run away from him. He's by your side. You're stuck with him. But whatever you do, don't run away. Don't resist that Holy Spirit. Listen to that conscience. Listen to his word. It is written. Let that be the authority of your life. Because we're living in some evil days, huh? You guys know that we're living in the last of the last days? You guys know that Jesus is coming soon? Are you ready? I pray that you are. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, today I pray you would make that choice. You would make that decision. You can do it right there in your seat. And you can say yes to Jesus. And it changes he will come into your life and he will give you strength and grace. He's knocking. The Bible talks about him knocking. All you have to do is open your